Now, if you got your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 15, uh, where we read through this entire passage last week. If you missed it, please watch it on YouTube. It is a pivotal message, part of a pivotal series for our church. And um, we've had people from all walks of life, from people who aren't Christians to people who've um, been Christians for close to five decades, who have talked about how last week's message affected them and changed their life. So you don't want to miss an opportunity for God to do that in your life. And obviously this entire series is going to be really, really important. And uh, we're going to talk about the younger brother and his request. So I want to read it to you. Chapter uh, 15, we're going to read verses 11 through 14. And uh, here we go. So Jesus is telling a group of stories. This is the third story he tells. And he says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons a few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. What Jesus is telling is a fictional story. It's a parable, but when Jesus told a parable or he told a story, it was a story with a spiritual meaning. So he wasn't just telling a story like, hey, did you hear this one? He was deliberately revealing something about himself, revealing something about Father God, revealing something about the Holy Spirit, revealing something about the kingdom of God, revealing something about you and I. The, these are amazingly complex, uh, 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 deeply truthful, deeply impactful stories. And this story is no different. That's why we're taking several weeks to go through these, this one passage. Now, this story that is telling, it's a story about a father, a younger son, and an older son. And it begins with the younger son going to his father and making this request, give me my share of the estate. And he was due an inheritance, and as was his older brother, but he's telling him right now, I want my share. So the way it worked during this time, the way culture worked during this time is that when the father would pass away... The oldest son would get double the amount of inheritance as any other son. And uh, not good for me, I'm a middle child, but good for the older sons. And the, everybody else, that would be split between them. So there's two sons. The older brother got two-thirds of the estate. The younger brother was, would, re, would have received one-third of the estate at his father's death. So he's asking now, hey, you're alive. I understand there's still some more time left for you, but right now, I demand one-third of the estate. I would like you to give it to me now. And this morning, we want to just talk about that one request, the significance of that. It's significant to, it, there's meaning behind it that Jesus was telling us. There's a response that the Father has to this request that, they, that we want to see. And then the third thing we're going to look at is what, what difference does that make for us? Because Jesus is telling this story over, over 2,000 years ago, or just about 2,000 years ago, to a group of, uh, of castaways and sinners and bad guys, and to a group of people who consider themselves good guys, a group of religious people. And he's telling this same story to us. 
He wants us to learn about him, about his father. He wants us to change through this. So the opener to the sermon series, we talked a lot about this last week, but let's talk about leave, God's leaving the light on for us. The question to kind of ask at the, at the beginning of this is why leave the light on for someone who's betrayed you so much? Why is the father leaving the light on for his, for his younger son? Why is God leaving the light on for us to return home when he has been wronged so deeply? So let's look at that. What is the meaning of this request? Verse number 12 um, says, I want my share of your estate now before you die. And that request was stunning. To us, it seems like maybe no big deal. We think about the the father having to go to the bank and just cash out his 401k. And, and if you know anything about that, you're like, man, man he's going to pay a steep uh, tax for that. But it was much more complicated than that because at this time, uh, first, wealth wasn't meant to be distributed until death. It was a, almost a family compound. And everything was shared. Everything was, uh, was proportioned. And so to just separate it wasn't, wasn't going to be an easy thing. Much of their wealth was in land, it was in, it was in cattle, it was not just in gold coins, all right? So it was going to be a difficult thing to honor this request. And one, um, one scholar wrote this in helping us to understand the culture that they were living in. He said, in Middle Eastern culture, to ask for the inheritance while their father is alive is to wish him dead. And again, I think we kind of missed that, like, oh, what's the big deal? That's offensive, but I don't get it. But he was saying, essentially, to his dad, uh, I, you, you know, I was hoping you'd die a lot sooner than this. You're not dying. Um, and so just give me my money now because, really, I'm done with you. I don't like you. I don't want to be around you. I don't like living here. Just give me my money now. I want to be gone. I want to pretend and act and live my life as if you're already dead. And uh, imagine as a dad having your child speak to you that way and revealing the depth of his heart towards you. And it's one thing to have your five-year-old tell you they hate you. It's another thing to have your grown adult son say, you know what, you're better to me dead right now. And um, it was shocking. And, and so... This request, it's a disgrace to the family name, it's dishonorable to the father, it's going to be an embarrassment to the community, uh, to the father, to the community. It's a big deal. And those listening are understanding this as it's happening. So Jesus is not stopping halfway through the story to tell them the cultural significance of this. They are feeling this tension as he's telling this story. Not only is it disrespectful, is it hurtful, but also it's a huge economic blow to the family because he's going to have to sell part of his estate. He's going to have to sell a third of his land. He's going to have to sell a third of his cattle, and that land is not going to grow back. He's not going to be able to earn that back. So it's just gone, and it'll be gone forever. And uh, it's land, home, animals, and here he is. He gets one-third of everything the father has at that point. And the dad, so the dad liquidates the family's assets. He does that because it says a few days later, the younger son packs up his stuff and takes off, goes strutting down the driveway like it was a 1950s Disney movie, and, uh, and just says, I'm off. Like, this is it. I've got it. 
Now, when he makes this request, give me my share of the estate, he didn't, he didn't use a word that we might use. He didn't say, hey, I'd like one-third of my inheritance. He was deliberate here in declaring ownership over something that he didn't own. It wasn't, don't give me the gift that you're going to one day give me. Give me my share of the estate. It's a demand, it's an ownership. And to avoid the word of inheritance, uh, uh, many pastors and, and scholars uh, teach this, that he deliberately avoided that word inheritance because he was de- deliberately avoiding his responsibility to the family. It was a family unit that worked together, that built wealth together. It was a family unit that protected each other. As a, at that time, there wasn't social security, there wasn't welfare, there wasn't disability. Your family was that. So when the, older, when the parents got older, the younger brothers and their families would care for them. When the, when, if one of the brothers had an injury, the other brother and the, um, and, and the parents would care for them. We can see uh, an idea of this in the Old Testament where it says... If, um, if a brother dies, then the next brother should marry his wife, which seems bizarre to us, but it was a way to, to protect that family, that she, wouldn't be, um, that she wouldn't be a widow and those children wouldn't, be, wouldn't have to live in poverty, that there would be a, a protection there. And, and so he's saying, I don't want any of that. I, I'm, I'm not sticking around. You know, when dad's gone, I'm not going to be here to help, to help the brother, to help anybody else. I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm, I, I want to be cut off completely from you. I don't want the responsibility. What I want, though, is the privileges without the responsibility. I want every good thing that could ever happen and come from this family without having to do anything else for the family and uh, without even having to show up once a year for Christmas. I don't want anything to do with this. We, kind of, we can respond to God this way, and maybe we don't even realize we're doing this, but we, we ask God, hey, give me forgiveness without repentance. So we, we can see this in church culture where we say, I'm going to go and confess the things I've done wrong, but I'm not actually going to stop doing the things I've done wrong. I'd like you to forgive me, but I don't actually want to turn away from the things that I'm doing. And so we, we, we do that same thing. I want... I want what you have to offer, but I don't want to have anything to do with you. We say, give me heaven without surrender. So when someone passes away, we love to believe that they go to heaven. But before they pass away, or before we pass away, we don't like to believe that the only way to heaven is through Jesus. So I I just don't even want to believe that I'm a good person, that God would send me to hell and so I'm just going to, God, I want you to give me heaven, but I don't want to have to surrender my life to Jesus. And so we're, we're kind of requesting the same thing. And then we say to God kind of all the times, give me your benefits without my obedience. We just pray to him in the, in the jam, God, help me get this minivan out of the middle of the road. Uh, and, and God, if you do this for me, I'll go to church today. And, uh, um, you know, in the middle of a of a uh, 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 in the middle of a, a war zone, the, the, you know, it's almost cliche now. You pray, God, if you get me through this, I'll give my life to you. And we've, we've heard testimonies of people like Louis Zamperini, Louis Zamperini who was stranded 
in the South Pacific on a life raft who prayed a prayer, God, if you get me through this, I'll give my life to you. Forgot about it for several years later, but then eventually gave his life to Jesus, was freed from alcoholism, from PTSD, and uh, served the Lord for the rest of his life. But we, we say, God, get me through this. God, meet my needs. God, heal me. But then if God doesn't do that stuff, we're like, well, all right. And we're revealed. Our attitude is revealed to this. Like, God, I'll, I'll do these. If you do these things for me, then sure, I'll, I'll do these things for you. Scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And, and as soon as God doesn't do something we want, we're like, all right, well, um, I'm getting off this train. It's not, it's not helping me out. So the son cuts all ties. He breaks relationships with his father. He leaves the safety of his family. And this request rips the family apart. The older brother, who's, who's obviously angry at this because there's a financial loss for him. Because now when the father does die, the, son, the, older, the older son is going to have less um, because there's not a continuing of, of, of compounding wealth. Uh, he's got to do double the amount of work because his younger brother's not there helping him anymore. So his workload has increased. And, um, and then obviously it was, a rela- it was relational violence to, to his family. And it was, ec- it was a, an act of economic violence to his family. It's a big deal. What we see, you know, is we know the end of the story, how the younger brother, how, he, how the father was to him. What we get to realize is before the younger brother took off, the younger brother lived with his father and for a season even obeyed his father, but yet he didn't love his father. He loved his father's wealth. He loved his father's things. He didn't love his father. And it's just, just thinking about that and thinking about, our, about ourself and our relationship with God, the younger son's heart was on the wealth, it was on comfort, it was on freedom, it was on status, that now his wealth would bring him. That's what he wanted. I don't care what it's going to do to my father. I don't care what it's going to do to my brother. I don't care what it's going to do to the family. He, all he can think about is, is how he's going to feel and what it's going to do for him. A question to ask ourselves here at the beginning of this is, what is your motivation for serving God? Some of you, you've never served God before. You've never made a decision to follow Jesus. You need to think through, if I'm going to give my life to him, if I'm going to make a decision to follow him, what's my motivation in that? So he'll put my marriage back back together, so he'll heal me just so I'll have heaven? Or is your motivation a, a relationship with him? This younger brother who's living in the father's house Enjoying the benefits of the father. Eventually, all he could see was the father's work. He began to ask, why am I working so hard? I don't have to do this. I don't have to be here. Eventually, all he saw was the, uh, the father's rules. He began to think, I don't need this. Why am I living under these rules? Why am I, why am I limiting myself from experiencing I, everything I want to experience? He began to maybe even think, father's old-fashioned. The father's traditional. father doesn't get it. We kind of, kind of be in the same thing. We just see, why am I serving God? Why am I, why am I, why am I being a part of a circle? Why am I serving every week? Why am I here on Memorial Day? Or I should be at the beach. And we just begin to think, like, why am I doing all this work? All this work. 
we can begin to think, I don't, you know, the Father's rules, I don't get it. I don't get why he wants me to, to, to live sexually pure. I don't get why he wants me to give. Uh, I don't get why he, why he wants me to, to deny myself and pick up my cross daily. I just don't get it. I don't get all these rules. It's ridiculous. This is old-fashioned. This is unbelievable. And we can even, as people today, begin to just reject all those things and not see the Father for who the Father is. You question, as you begin to think through what's your motivation for serving God, we begin to ask ourselves, have we fallen in love with God, or have we just fallen in love with his things, or with his benefits, or we begin to ask ourselves, do I have a relationship with Jesus, or am I just using him as a means to an end, or am I just treating him as a genie in uh, in a bottle, you know, as Aladdin's released this weekend, am I just treating Jesus as that genie? How, is that how we're responding to him? Is that why we serve him? Or is our, is our relationship, when we have to really be honest with that, we don't want to deceive ourselves or be deceived, or do we love Jesus? Now, what happens here is what we see next is there's two sons in the house, and they're living very, very differently. One's cast off everything that the father, everything about the father, everything about the family, takes off for wild living. And then there's an older brother who is following all the rules, living morally right, and uh, he's obeying and serving his father. But what we're going to see, and we'll, we'll look through this a little bit more in depth next week, both brothers, um, uh, neither brother loved the father. So a couple of similarities between the two, they were both living empty lifestyles. One, when his wild living, it didn't lead him anywhere he wanted. It, it, it just led him to places he never had to go, to experience pain and hardship and poverty he'd never had to face. And it was his decision to go there, but he never had to go there. The older brother, he's living right, he's doing everything, but it, we see at the end of this story, it didn't bring him anything he wanted. It didn't lead him anywhere of joy or anywhere of love. The two brothers both loved the father's things, but not the father. The younger brother wanted the stuff, and I'm going to live, live right now. The older brother is, I'm going to do everything right now because I know I'll be getting this inheritance one day. And it had nothing to do with the father. It all had to do with a reward. The elder, bro- the elder brother, the older brother, is only obeying the father to get the father's things. It wasn't out of a joy. It wasn't out of a love. It was out of a check that would come at his death. And here's kind of the big key about the both of them. They both, they both missed out on the father. What we see when we, what we keep coming back to at the end of this is they had a great father who loved them deeply. He loved them so much. And that didn't start when they took off. That was who he was. That was his character the whole time. But they missed it because they had their eyes drawn toward his money. They had the eyes focused on the work they had to do. They had their eyes focused on their responsibilities. And they missed out on a great dad, a great father who loved them so deeply. At the end, though, it was the younger brother who returned and entered back into that love 
And it was the older brother who stood outside the party with his arms crossed, said, I refuse to go in. I refuse to allow you to love and forgive and restore my younger brother the way you just have. And it was the older brother at the end who brought shame, who was living morally right, but ended up the furthest away from the father. To just be a religious person, to just follow the rules, it's empty. And you're going to miss out on the father. You're going to miss out on his love for you if you just turn this into some ritual that you're just checking off a box. Second thing is uh, the response to the request. Um, Here's the younger brother is. He's out. He's poor. He's starving. He says, I'm going to go work for my dad. Maybe he'll hire me. And uh, at least my dad's servants are eating. And he shows up, and we, we see here in verse number 20. It says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, and his father was filled with love and compassion, and he ran to his son. He embraced him, and he kissed him. We continue to read. It says, the father gave him a fine robe. The father put a ring on his finger. The father um, uh, took the, the, the calf, the fattened calf that they'd been saving and preparing for, for a later coming feast and said, let's have a party now. Let's celebrate now. My son, I thought he was dead, but he's found. I thought he, he was lost, but now he's found, and uh, we need to celebrate. He's back home. And this response you know, we've got to celebrate with a feast. We have to celebrate with a party. It is mind-blowing to anybody who's listening. And really, it's mind-blowing to us if we begin to realize that this is God's response toward us when we come back to him. Because we're too often saying, I have to grovel at God. I have to get my life together before I come before God. I have to prove to him that I'm worth loving before I come back to him. I've got, I can't show up the way I am. I can't show up looking like this. He's going he's gonna to point his finger at me. He's going to point a lightning rod at me. He's going to He's going to um, uh, tell me, I told you so, and I can't go back to him. I'm too embarrassed. This is, this, is un, uh, this is not something that I can do. And uh, the, the younger brother's request to the father was shocking. I want you dead. Just give me your money. But the father's response is even, it's even more remarkable, where the father essentially says, all right doesn't fight, doesn't push back. They, they, they would have expected at this part of the story for the father to begin whipping his son or, or, or punching him and beating him off the property. You don't get nothing. Get out of here. But that the father would sell this is like, what is going on here? Why would this guy act this way? And we know that the reason the father acted this way is because the father wanted there to be a path of restoration he wanted, essentially, to leave the light on. Hey, I know you're taking off. I know you're going your own way. But this porch light is going to be on because I'm hoping and I'm praying that one day you'll come home. And if he responded in wrath, if he responded in anger, then the son was never going to come home. And the father's heart for his children is always that they'll come home. That's his response for us this morning. Come home. He sold his property, he liquidated his estate, he gave his son the money because he was keeping the light on. Again, we kind of come back to that question that we ask at the beginning of the message, why keep the light on for someone who's betrayed you so much? In our reasoning, he shouldn't have done that. 
And this is not parenting advice here, all right? This is, this is God teaching us about, about himself, Jesus teaching us about himself. But why leave the light on it? And we know he was keeping that path for restoration. And we sang it this morning. And we're going to sing it again at the end of the message. It says, your kindness, Lord, leads us to repentance. We think that we're going to repent because God is punishing us, God is abusing us, God is harassing us, and that's going to wake us up. No, it's his kindness, because he lets us take the path we want to take. He lets us, uh, uh, you know, sleep with pigs, and <laughs> I didn't anticipate that innuendo, but it's resonating, I think. The Holy Spirit gave that for some of you. He lets us live the life that we want. He lets us live the life that we want. And, and his response is always with that porch light on. Hey, when you're ready to come back, I'm ready to receive you. It's your kindness, Lord, that leads us to repentance. We, we're convinced, and the enemy's convinced us he'll never receive you. He'd never even hire you. He hates you. Maybe there's older brothers around who hate you. He's waiting for you to come running down that driveway for you. What I hope is that your understanding of, of the Father's love for you, what I hope is that your understanding of his acceptance of you, I hope what your understanding of, of his deep desire for relationship with you is coming through in this message that's affecting your heart in a way that could never be unaffected. That is changing your life in a way that is going to affect your remaining days, years, and decades on this earth. Because you're overwhelmed at the graciousness and the goodness and the kindness and the love of God, your Father, for you. The question, the last question is, what difference does that make for us? Great story. <laughs> really, honestly, Pastor, how can this help me today? Well, first... It means that whether we're someone who has no church background, or even if we do, but we're living while living. I mean, we're at the parties, we're, you know, we just get that reputation, we're doing anything we want to do, and even we're doing things we don't want to do anymore, but we just can't seem to escape it. If we're younger brother types, or whether we're fine, upstanding citizens who know how to cross our T's and dot our I's, and even depending on what type of, of, uh, of alphabet you learned, dot your J's. Um, you, you, even if you are morally right, if you're, you've religiously, you've checked off everything, what it begins to show us is that, wait a minute, could I, could I have a love problem? Could I be loving the, the wrong things? Remember, they had a father who loved them, but they didn't love their father. They love this stuff. Is there something in us that is missing out? We're rejecting the love because we think it's rules and it's obligation. Or we're, we're, we're missing his love because we think, I'm going to earn it. I'm going to do everything right and just show him how good I am. Again, do we really love God or do we love him as long as he's the best deal? Is it, God, I love you, and my life is yours, it's in your hands, I love you, and I cherish you, and I adore you. Or it's, God, 
you didn't answer that prayer, I'm out. God, you didn't restore that marriage, I'm out. God, you didn't meet that need, I'm out. God, that, that church collapsed and, and those people were phonies, I'm out. What, what is it? It's as long as he's the best deal and the best thing offering. God, I love you when it's rainy Sundays, but not beautiful Sundays. God, I love you when one of the other pastors is preaching, but not when Pastor Nate's preaching. God, I, uh, well, you know, what, what is it? It's when he's best deal. I've heard a pastor describe it this way, and I'm, I'm closing with this so the bands at every location can jump in their spot. Suppose there's a wife whose husband is spending hours every week with another woman talking about all of his problems and her problems. And he goes traveling with this other woman. He talks and thinks about her incessant, incessantly. He's just always, every story, like, oh, yeah, you know, me and her, we were, we, we were laughing about this. It's an inside joke. And he's just always talking about this other woman. He's always talking about her with other people, even with his wife. He's just always talking about this other woman. And eventually, his wife confronts, the wife confronts her husband and says, What's the problem? What's going on? Like, and confronts him about this relationship with this other woman. And the husband responds like, what's your problem? I married you, didn't I? I pay the bills. I'm home every night. Uh, um, you know, I, 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 if anybody asks, I tell them I'm married to you. I, I wear my ring. I don't deny it. Um, I don't mistreat you. What's the problem? The wife's response would be, someone else has your imagination. Some, you're daydreaming about someone else. You're not daydreaming about me. Someone else has captured your heart. Because that would be a big problem. If your daydreams and your affection and your joy is to someone other than your spouse, that's a problem. It's a huge red flag, and that's not something you should ever excuse or talk your way out of or try to pretend doesn't exist. But for the Christian, the similarity, and the pastor shared this, for the Christian, you, you know, you're living your life, you get these things that you love, you're, you're, you know, you're kind of, you're serving God, and you say you're serving him with all your heart, all your time, all your energies, but really, your heart's affection are toward other things. And God, through the Holy Spirit, kind of convicts you. He says, hey, what's going on with all these other things? Seems like there was a closeness, but your closeness is toward these other things. And our response would be, what are you talking about, God? I still go to church. I still give. I'm still serving. I'm doing everything you want me to do. I just don't understand why you're even complaining. And God's response would be, your imaginations are toward these other things. Your daydreams are toward these other things. Something else has captured your heart. It's not about me anymore. You're living for your, for your relationship. You're living for your career. You're living for your money. You're living for your retirement. You're living for, for yourself. You're, you're not living for me. You're not living in relationship with me. Many of us are like that older brother, especially here in church, is probably more of us resonating with that. We're obeying all the rules, but our real heart and passion is for something else. 
Listen, if anything else has a controlling portion of our heart, it's, a, it's, a, it's an idol to us. It's a God to us. God's called, God's offering to be himself to us. We don't need these other things. We don't need anything other than God for us, but, but so often something else. It can be a hobby. It can be a sin. It can be a bank account. It can be a project. It can be just our own comfort. It has our heart. The second thing that we see here is that what the Lord has done for us, um, we see in what the Father did for his son. The father, when that younger son showed up, God put the, and the father put the robe on him and the ring on him. You know what, the, what that son got? A new one-third of the inheritance. It was restored. He was, a, he was an heir. And he was, had a full restoration. It was, so it wasn't like, hey, sorry, man. You're in everything except for that one-third you already spent. No, that was restored to him as well, which is part of the reason the, bro, uh, the older brother was so ticked off because he just got less now. But we, the father, he essentially paid for all of his son's sins. And what, what Jesus tells us, what he's showing to us is that our sins have been paid for by the father. That the father sent his son Jesus to die on a cross in our place to pay the price of our sin. We've been while living or we've been uh, living morally without God but for our own benefit. Both are sinful both are far from the Father, and the Father is saying, listen, I want to throw a party for you. Will you please come into the party? Will you please come back home? Will you please let me restore you? Will you please let me give you back everything that you gave up? Will you please let me love you? When God came into this world, when Jesus put on flesh and became one of us, left heaven and became a baby, we would have expected God to come in wrath. He's going to show up like Thanos, he's going to show up like, um, uh, 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 I was trying to, like another evil villain, I'm sorry, I can't think of any right now, um, like Ben Affleck as Batman, he's going to show up as an evil villain, and he's just going to destroy us. He's just going to, he's just going to, like, let's get all the bad people in the line, and let's start you know, uh, angels, you hold their arms behind their back. I'm just going to give them a punch in the stomach. I just really gonna, I just really need to relieve some stress right now. These people are driving me crazy. We expect, expect God to react to us in wrath. And that's why people say, the church will collapse on me. I'll get struck by lightning. I could never. And we expect God to react with wrath. But he responds with kisses. He responds with hugs. He responds with restoration. This is his response to us. Jesus came. He didn't come with a sword in his hand. He didn't come with condemnation. He didn't come pointing fingers. He didn't come with anger. He didn't come screaming. He didn't come spitting and yelling. He didn't come, he didn't come making fun of us. He came with humility. And instead of a sword in his hands, he had nails in his hands. As he gave up his life on the cross, said, hey, my father wants you home. My father wants you home. Would you close your eyes? I, I want to um, invite the prayer team at every location to come forward now. And 
some weeks we forget to do this, and we get out of a we get out of a rhythm here. And uh, I don't want you to ever feel embarrassed to be prayed for. And sometimes you're too shy. Sometimes you think like you're going to come up here and they're going to and and they're going to be angry at you. No, they want to receive you in this moment, like the father received the younger son. If you're a younger son and you've just been running from God, you've just been chasing stuff, maybe you didn't even know you were running from God because you never really heard about God before. But you've been running. You're living a life that's leading you to a place you don't even want to be anymore. Listen, when we invite people to come forward for prayer, come forward. Give your, give your life to Jesus. Allow him to clean you, to put his robe of righteousness on you, to restore you. Give up this this empty idol, this empty God of just fulfilling yourself and find the peace and love of the Father through just saying, you know what, I'm not going to reject your love anymore. I'm going to let you love me. If you're an older brother just living by the rules, trying to be morally right, having so much pride in how good you are, I want to invite you to come and lay down your idols of, of moral superiority, your idols of, of I'm going to do all these things for God, and God later will have to do the things I want him to do. Give up these idols of, of unforgiveness, of judgment, of, of condescension. Give all these things up. You can be so close to the Father, but never live and experience in his love. Why would God leave the light on for us when we've betrayed him so much? And because he loves us more than we could really ever comprehend. And we want that for you. To experience that, to receive that, and to live in that. Jesus, there are so many of us here who, um, who've run from you. We're, we're doing things that we're hiding. We're doing things that we're not sharing. And we, and we even want to do them more. And we're trying to can find a way out of this because we just want to once, once in our life just live for ourselves and do whatever we want and not have the, any constraints on us. There are married men thinking about being bachelors again. There are married women thinking about being single again. There are teenagers dreaming about running away and moving out. God, there, there are our, 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 our younger brothers who've known you, who followed you for a season and just think, I don't think this is worth it. I just want to go party. I just want to go have fun. I just want to live for myself. I pray wherever we are in that, wherever we are running away from you, that we'll turn away and turn back to you. We'll stop going that direction. The Bible word means repent. We'll stop going the direction that's going to lead us to, to the pig pen. It's going to lead us to the plate, to rock bottom. And before waiting to turn around there, we'll turn around now and say, I want to come back. I want to come back. For the older brothers who are just so, they just think they're so perfect. They're doing everything you want, and they're waiting. Like, one day, you're going to owe them. And I just, I just pray 
I just pray that they yield their heart to you. Say, you don't owe me anything. I owe you everything. And they stop knowing you as a God that they're going to get something from eventually, and they begin to know you as the Father who loves them right now. There's dinner every night for the elder brother. There's relationship every morning for the elder brother. There's joy in the work and laughter in the work and happiness in the work that they're missing out on because they're just trying to maintain their standard. And I pray that they come to you and say, I don't want to work for you anymore. I want to love you. And they give their heart to you. Don't run from the Father anymore. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.